I'm going to be honest. Today's episode was essentially a free therapy session for Muhammad and myself. Roxanne Durhaj is a registered psychotherapist and corporate consultant that specializes in helping senior leaders develop authentic leadership. We really take this opportunity to dig into all of our own personal questions, and she dumps a whole lot of wisdom on us. I think you're going to get a lot out of this one, so enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to Love as a Business Strategy, a podcast that brings humanity to the workplace. We're here to talk about business, but we want to tackle topics that most business leaders shy away from. We believe that humanity and love should be at the center of every successful business. I'm your host, Jeff Ma, and I'm joined today by my co-host and co-author, Mohammed Anwar. Hey, Mo, how is it going? It's going good, Jeff. Thank you for having me again. <laughs> yes, we get a lot of time together. I love it. And as always, we invite a guest to come and talk to us about business or strategy, and we like to test our theory of love against that. And so today, our guest is a registered psychotherapist, corporate consultant, keynote speaker, trainer, author. It goes on and on. She works with corporations to help senior leaders develop their leadership styles through enhanced connections to themselves. And she's a member of the Forbes Executive Council, an accomplished keynote speaker, and a best-selling author. Like I said, I don't have enough time to go through all of those things, but I'm excited to introduce and welcome to the show, Roxanne. Roxanne Derhodge, thank you for coming to the show. Well, thanks for having me, guys. So before we dive into all this, Roxanne, uh, we have a little bit of an icebreaker we usually do, but okay. I've learned that it's much more comfortable to make Muhammad go first. So I will make him go first. And then you <laughs> it's have uncomfortable for me, Jeff. <laughs> Still. Okay. Yeah, but that's okay. I love it. <laughs> okay. All right. So today's question is, if you could live anywhere in the world for the next year, where would it be? It's an easy one. Hawaii, of course. I just love hawaii and i would love to live there one day maybe uh so yeah if you told me to go live somewhere for one year that's where it'd be i hear it's one of those places that's um way better to visit than it is to live just from really the, from the like it's just different when you live somewhere because of the economy and all that stuff but anyways not to put Got a it. damper on your answer good answer of course hawaii is wonderful <laughs> i apologize <laughs> roxanne same question if you could live anywhere in the world for the next year where would it be it would be Tobago. Oh, interesting. Any reason why? Well, I grew up in Trinidad and um, Tobago, I spent a lot of time as a, as a, a young child. Uh, the only thing is there's um, two minds. If spending the year there would mean um, disconnection from a lot of things that you would probably get in Hawaii, Mo, but um, it's untouched. It's not commercial. It's, it's gorgeous. Probably some of the best diving in the world um and um quiet so i think i would enjoy that quiet what's that like <laughs> <laughs> all right awesome roxanne um i tried to write your um intro and i ran out of space you know like so much that you do so much uh so much expertise you hold so i wanted to give a little bit of chance for you to tell us a little about yourself um you know, what are your passions? What's your background? 
Well, my passions have always been to allow others to have a connection to their through, true authentic voice. I was, I'm a little girl from Trinidad and Tobago, um, grew up in a little village called Diamond Village, uh, which was very, very interconnected. Every my neighbors were like my family, and so grew up very extended with uh, uh, mostly uh, South Asian Indian background, and um, we kind of ran, you know, <laughs> as, uh, five siblings, so six in total, so ran uh, kind of out and about uh, in the neighborhood uh, where I lived is. Um, Little bit rural. It was a lot of a cane field, so the cane fields were our playgrounds where we would uh, jump in the uh, you know the puddles in between and uh, go fishing, and it was really quite lovely to uh, grow up there. And um, I still go back, and when I still go back, it's exactly the same, which I love. Amazing. And so, what about that? That I'm sure a long and windy road that brought you to where you are today. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, like I said, I, I would say that um, even amidst the love of, of growing up the way I did, there was definite uncertainty um, that I recognized that my parents had between themselves and their marriage. So there was interconnectedness, but definitely, I would say a bit of dissension. So I'd, and I remember kind of at times feeling like um, I couldn't really say what I was feeling as a child. And uh, the Caribbean, uh, most of the islands are a British system kind of stoic and keep it in, don't talk much about that. And I went to an all-girls private school and I remember having a meeting with, with the counselor because I thought, well, I'm gonna talk you know, about what I'm feeling and there was no room. And from that point, I kind of thought, you know what? I wonder if there's something that you can do <laughs> um, for like a job like this because everybody was going to you know, law school and medical school and uh, things like that. And I, I just knew I wasn't the right fit potentially. Um, and at that point I thought, why, I wonder if I could, and, you know, hence I'm talking a long time ago, uh, the concept of psychology entered my world. Uh, and I realized that I also had the ability to connect at a deep level with my friends and, um, I felt better. And I, you know, from what the feedback they gave me, they felt better. And at that point, there was the inception of I'm going to become, a, you know, a psychotherapist, whatever that was going to entail, and uh, made the decision quite young and left Trinidad when I was 16 to go to uh, university in Toronto. Awesome. And, and then yet another gap, I guess, to traverse is from there, today, you know, you're working with businesses and leadership executives, like, where did that connection kind of fall in place? Well, I did the traditional, um, you know, getting into the field, right? So I had a perception of what it was. And I started with uh, being a trauma responder with the Metro Toronto Police and uh, quite young. And soon after kind of going into the traditional front line, um, I started into corporate consulting where um, the health and wellness field, you know, afforded the capacity to do things like consulting, trauma responding, uh, strategic planning with companies about uh, what might keep employees away from work. So what psychological factors would potentially be um, the things that kept people away from work. And I started working in, in it was, it's called the employee assistance uh, field um, in, in my mid twenties and um, decided at that point that I wanted to do a little bit, have more of a wider 
reach at that point. So I use my background uh, to work as an executive um, to be able to, to, to bring what I knew, not just as a therapist, but also um, from having been at every point of contact with employees to bring that to the strategy to uh, you know, the corporate teams, the senior level teams that I would report to. So I would report sometimes to middle managers all the way up to the CEOs, depending on, um, you know, what was happening in the in the organizations. I find that I find that incredibly um, um, just in, not just interesting, but it feels so impactful to me to have the toolkit that you have, um, you know, this background in psychology and and the the matters of the mind and that 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 kind of that, the ability to analyze in that space, but combined with you know the corporate experience and and all that is something that in our line of work where we're consistently dealing with culture and people and really behaviors at the center of it, it just seems like I mean I'm very excited to to kind of pick your brain around, you know what you've learned and seen especially from that angle from that expertise that you hold. Um, yeah, go ahead, please. Well, I think people are people. And uh, when we look at culture, it, it's really people want to feel that they're making a difference. You know, like most of us, um, we spend most of our time in, you know, work environments. And I, th I believe that for the most part, the, regardless of the, you know, I worked with hospitality, legal hospitals um, over my tenure is that whether I was rolling out the program with the frontline employee all the way to the senior executive team, that everybody wants to make a difference. However, based couched in context of culture, sometimes uh, certain cultures, there's almost like implicit and explicit rules around uh, what that particular sector should be like. So let's say it's legal, for instance, uh, you're not supposed to share your vulnerability. So when I worked with the Law Society of Upper Canada, where I dealt with you know pretty high level senior people i quite literally would go in and i would give you so i was probably oh god i was 24 and i would go in and report on their trending analysis about what was happening with lawyers across ontario which is our province here in canada and you know i was like like literally sweating bullets because i felt like i was on the criminal witness stand quite figuratively and they <laughs> Um, they were lovely people, but at the end of the day, they were there to shake me down about what I really knew about what I really knew. Mm. And uh, it was interesting mm. because at the end of the day, we were coming up with what, what needed to be shifted, but some sectors are not open. They will say they want to be open potentially to what is happening in, in legal. And at that point, uh, you know, was retention of female lawyers around the age of 32 to 35 that were maybe uh, wanting to uh, create a family or have some different options. And a lot of them were leaving, um, you know, huge law firms where, and, and starting their own practices or going in as a, um, a company um, solicitor because they didn't, the options were, were less than desirable for them. And so I would go in, we would report that it over and over again. And uh, it was like, nice, nice now. Um, but there was not much change. So I think it depends on the sector, right? Manufacturing compared to banking, compared to healthcare, you're going to get a different tempo to the culture um, based on uh, when, when I would deal with them. You, you hit on something 
really um, that strikes me because of what we deal with um, in talking to 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 different businesses as well, which is that there's this there's always this desire and sometimes in a good awareness around these weaknesses and cultures and these desire to like make a change and have an outcome for sure. Uh, you always see that. Um, but time and again, we kind of encounter this barrier that you kind of you just just mentioned when it comes to like what it really takes. So like the mindset shift, the behavior changes, the kind of self-awareness and the realizations that have to happen at a real human level. Mm -hmm. And it feels like a lot of, you know, especially business leaders, but just people in general aren't prepared to accept that reality or kind of take on the, the real work and sometimes are caught off guard by that. Is that what you're seeing as well? And have you been able to kind of break through or uh, what have you seen in, in order to overcome that? Well, I think it depends on the company, right? Like the, if, if they're wanting real change, um, is it a concept that you want change or do you really want more connection um, at your company? And really, as we know with, with powers, uh, it's, power flows down. So really, how is your vision, mission, you know, values in alignment with, with the actions that you're expecting um, in reference to change? So what I find is a lot of companies might say they want authentic leadership or service leadership, but what are they prepared to invest um, you know, with their time and human capital to create that change. And is it a nice to have, so I could put the kind of the byline on, you know, the homepage of my company, or am I really truly willing, regardless of who I can talk to with systemically within that company, am I going to get the same feedback regardless of who I'm talking to? And I think that's the difference between companies that it's a nice to have and the companies that say, I'm going to invest in the strategy regardless of how long um, it takes. And, you know, if it takes maybe a bit of attrition because people don't fit as well, that's something a lot of companies uh, may not want to explore. And you have to be willing to make the, the changes that are necessary if you truly want a corporate culture um, that's transparent and relatable. What do you do then, I guess, just like tactful, tactically, like, because when you walk into the doors, you're not sure which one they are yet. They all start with good intent, I guess. Mm -hmm. But pretty soon you realize, oh, this, this leader or the CEO or this, this board um, is trying to fix a problem they think they're outside of. Or, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of times they say, oh, everyone, let's roll out some culture program so that everyone else can be happy. Mm -hmm. and there's no problem here. Um, when they're, what, what do you do in those spaces? Is it just like, oh, sorry, I can't help you here, bye? Or what can you do from here to actually make a difference for them? Well, I think you have to field, why am I there, right? So it's one thing uh, to say I have an issue with my teams. And the reality is, you know, how, how, are, how, is, your, how is your me and senior team? What are they about? What are you about as a CEO? And um, are you able to go inside and really become grounded within yourself about what your core fundamental values are? What's your leadership story? Why are you doing what you're doing? And um, are you transparent? Um, 
Are you re not reactive based on, you know, the SWOT analysis of what's happening in the industry? Um, are you able to communicate? Um, and when you have those full pause, which all, you know, CEOs do, <laughs> are you able to um, be humble enough to call out your mistakes and to speak to them in a way that shows that um, you are relatable and you're human as well? So I think it starts at the top. And you as a senior leader, um, as the head of your team, should be looking for those same variables in, in your team members. And let's say you have one or two team members that are high producers, but they're buckling at the concept of servant leadership or love as a business strategy. What is it that you're going to do to address if there's a misfit or misalignment with culture? Um, you know, are you going to ignore it because they are your two top producers? Um, are you thinking short term or long term? Um, and, you know, if those people are the kind of um, senior leaders that as soon as they walk into the lunchroom or, you know, the figurative uh, water cooler, <laughs> the conversation shifts, you're, you're giving getting information about um, what others around them need to see. So I think as a leader, you really have to be in alignment um, with your vision and mission uh, about what you want to see. And if it means that you have to make some cuts, which may be at first deep in your pockets um, to create alignment for long-term cultural change, that's something that most teams are looking to see. Are you going to make the necessary changes or are you going to you know, guide along because you know the quarter's coming up and your board needs to see that ROI that you promised. And uh, so I think it's the long-term strategy. And those are the conversations that I would have with um, people that are employing me to already understand, is this, what are your pain points? Why are you doing what you're doing? Or or you want me to come in to do a stress management day? Well, let's, let's drill down further and talk about really um, what's telling you that you need to make this change and let's not look short term, but in fact, long term about a year, you know, six months, a year, three years down the road, how this one piece that you're wanting me to do uh, will be continued long term. So I think it's you, you have to have those conversations and you have to walk away as well. Um, because, you know, obviously in the kind of work that I do, your reputation follows you. So if I go in, I'll give you an example. I was called, I was called in highly recommended uh, CEO said, without a doubt, need you, need you, need you. <laughs> We're ready to make strategic change. Um, so I said, okay, well, the first level is I need to have, you know, general meetings to understand what the core concerns are. So I started to meet with individual business units and the themes were the same. Um, there was a lack of trust. Um, and they, they named things that needed to shift immediately, just as a beginning point. Uh, the first uh, round took place in a couple of weeks. But what started to happen is that the CEO, her, her real goal at the point was to have everybody move along. So she had bought into the concept, but it was based on the steps that she thought she needed for me to take in order to move the, the um, and there was a lot of toxic uh, management prior to um, the CEO coming in. So uh, really when, when we were able to analyze the data and bring it back to her, she said, unfortunately, I'm not willing to take the steps based on 
um, what you're finding out at this point. And um, so I, at that point, decided not to work with the company. Hmm. Absolutely. Can, how do you deal with the, I'm just going to play a little bit of the role of a CEO, a typical CEO who has the pressures and the realities of, you know, the business, the outcomes, the deadlines, the budget constraints, you know, all of the pressures that leaders are faced with. And, you know, if we're bringing in um, these approaches of culture and change, how do you handle the realities of what is at stake, what is going on in the business and convince a leader that those are the realities, but how do you convince them that they should invest into culture and things that don't seem like an urgent and pressing need and don't have direct tangible correlation to the business uh, outcomes that are being expected of me or of a leader? How, how do you handle those type of conversations and what is your approach to it? Well, I think you'd have to, I'd have to speak numbers with someone like yourself, uh, Mo. I'd like to, I'd have to create the business case for it to talk mm -hmm. about, you know, if you were to think of, let's use your, your, one of your senior leadership teams, let's say a third of them, um, you know, you're concerned about losing, what's the value of, of um, attrition at that rate? So let's say you were to lose a third of them uh, and because they're not happy, like we know what's happening at this time, they're calling it the great resignation. So what if you um, were to lose that person, let's say they make a half a million dollars a year times three, that's $1.5 million. And they were to go to your competitor um, and what would that value of that be? Um, short term, you might want to keep them, but long term, if they're creating dissension based on the projects that are at hand, what does that translate out based on your strat plan for the year, right? So um, if people are not happy, they're feeling there's there's a bit of potentially nepotism on the team. They're feeling they, they can't feel safe psychologically to speak up. If I'm not psychologically safe, I'm sure I'm not going to go against you, Mo. I'm going to tell you what you need to hear from me. And maybe that's not what the right route is. You want people to be able to voice their concerns in a respectful way based on your roles. But you want people to bring the truest version of why you hired them to begin with uh, to the table. Mm -hmm. So oftentimes we talk about, you know, what is the impact about if, you do lose some of the core people. And if you were to lose them, okay, that's one end. But what did it, what would it, how long would it take to replace them? And what are the costs associated with that? What are your incidental absences? Do you know your short-term disability claims? Um, if you don't, and you might say, everybody always shows up, Roxanne. Okay, well, you know, what are your health claims? What's being used? And what 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 are those numbers showing you? Um, even though maybe people are going to, you know, show you an front foot facing kind of reality, it's all good. It's all good. So I think you have to look at the overall numbers and, um, you know, and, and really drill down to what is that really saying to you if someone is not happy there, you know, and you've heard, probably heard the term presenteeism, which is I'm going to give you 65% of productivity. I'm going to be all good. I'm not going to be the guy that, or the other woman on your team, that's going to show you that I'm glaringly needing assistance and high producers. What are they? They often are the types, they wait so long by the time they actually go off work. Um, 
they're needing a whole lot more to get healthy again. And that's proven um, with the data across industry. So you have to look at all those. So those are the conversations I would be talking to uh, a leader about. Um, you know, yeah, you're maybe maybe making your targets, but you're having a lot more conflicts on your team. What is that costing you? Um, and you know, from a from a money perspective, we can look at it like that. But also, if psychological safety allows everybody to be more productive and more creative, and you're not going to get 65 percent, but maybe you're going to get maybe we can max out at about 85 percent. What's the variance? Um, about productivity um, from that end. So it's, it's sometimes you can sit down and translate it out into numbers, but you need to look at all the overall numbers about health in your industry and what are the top key cost, cost drivers that would keep people functional, healthy, and at work and start to look at it from that perspective to paint um, and look at the benchmarks within your industry as well. Um, what, what is the norm? You know, in healthcare, for instance, it's 15% of utilization. If people are able to go forward earlier to get services, they stay at work. And if they stay at work, they're going to get healthier, happier, and more productive. So it's having those types of conversations with uh, CEOs to say, let's look not just in the next six months, but to look three to five years out with what you're wanting to do in your industry as well. Got it. No, that's that's very helpful. So talk about, you know, you touched a topic of great resignation and it's like a big thing right now this year with almost 50%, at least in the United States, uh, mm -hmm. 50% of the population is looking to switch jobs. They're actively looking to change jobs um, or considering it. What is your take on that uh, as far as leaders, CEOs, business owners, and senior leadership? What do you think it's going to result in in terms of their um, their strategic positioning or approach as a result of the great resignation. What do you think is going to happen? Well, I think we have to take people seriously. You have to really understand how, what is your value alignment um, at your company. And if you've been misaligned, call it. <laughs> if you've been ignoring certain things that you know have been perpetual issues or concerns in your industry or in your company, this is not the time to be ignoring those things. You got to call it. You have to be vulnerable. You have to talk about your weak spots as the leader. You also have to talk about what you're willing to do um, to make that investment and to speak to your full pause. Like, I've screwed this up royally in this way, this way. And so the vulnerability and the storytelling as the, as your leader, right? I need to know that I've, I'm valuable. And if I don't feel valued, where am I going to go? I'm going to go take 10 to 15, 20%, potentially less. And that's what they're saying people are doing because they want the value alignment based on what, um, you know, COVID-19 has kind of taught a lot of people from being at home. So really, who are your people? What's your main demographic? How old are they? How long have they been married? What are the core concerns coming up for them? Where do they live based on where you, your business is? And what are their core concerns within the communities that your companies live? Get to know your company, just not based on um, the product, but also your, your, your human capital. And if you understand the mind of your people and what they value, 
ensure that the things that you're putting in place is in alignment with that. And if you can't, at that point, you have to sit down and really spend time alone with yourself saying, what am I going to do? Um, you know, if, if you don't have the capacity, gain the skills as a leader. Be introspective. Learn how to communicate better. Learn to be a better storyteller. Learn to tell your leadership legacy story. And so people understand you. And there will be a natural amount of attrition because some people are just going to say, I'm going to use my feet because, you know, the, you, this is no longer fitting. That you can't help. You need to help them along and thank them for their service. But I think look at, go back again to, we all want to be valuable and needed. And I want to know if you're my CEO, Mo, that you remember something about me. To have a conversation with me and know, and, I, and people will say to me, if it's a multinational, that's even harder. I get that. But you have to make the effort to understand in order to, and the things that you're putting in place, make sure it has meaning for the people like your perks and your, you know, it's not just about the money like we're hearing now. Um, how are your perks in alignment with work-life balance? Um, lots of different things like that. Got it. So maybe maybe I feel like I'm getting a little bit of a therapeutic session. So I have a question for you. <laughs> I'll give um, you a free couple of minutes. <laughs> <laughs> so what about like the realities of like the pressures on the leader in terms of like going down that path, right? Like being there to serve the people, take care of them, get to know them, be selfless and, you know, constantly go day in and day out and put the needs of others before yourself. What's the advice and the uh, direction you'd give to the leaders to take care of themselves and their health and in, in the fact that they're always out there serving others in this type of a culture? How do you make sure that they don't get burnt out? How do you make sure that they're not going to, mm -hmm. you know, end up, you know, having help needed? So what's your advice on those type of situations? Well, you have to start with yourself, right? You really have to stay healthy psychologically, emotionally, physiologically. And you have to become, if you have expectations of others, you have to be the role model. And yet again, we're putting the leader on the spotlight. But guess what? If you have the expectations that people... Um, have work-life balance or um, you recognize the pressures that sometimes you have deadlines and, you know, do the things that you know would be that you would want for yourself. But unless you as a leadership uh, person really fundamentally understands yourself, like when you're stressed, am I more abrupt or do I kind of hide in my office or, you know, is it, um, you know, that I'm a little bit too succinct in my messaging I'm stressed, so what am I doing for myself? What are those microbursts of resilience that I am doing daily for myself that allows me, after I've been in back-to-back -back meetings for three to four hours, that allows me to come back into center, um, back into who I am as a person, because I am a person who happens to be a leader, and I'm a, you know, a father, a, a friend, a community member. So to really, um, self-care is very key. And what is your internal GPS? And when you know you're out of alignment and you've got a lot of pressures, which of course leaders have a lot of pressures. And if your, um, you know, your mind becomes distorted, it impacts how you feel and it impacts how you act. So you really, and if you do misalign and step out of line for whatever reason, in a meeting or whatever, go back and, and repair that. 
so that people can see that you have the capacity to understand and say, hey, Roxanne, I recognize the other day, you know, you brought this and, you know, this fantastic proposal to me. And I kind of, you know, I was a little bit, I didn't see, didn't take the time to say, hey, I'll take some time when I have more time. I was a little bit more aloof or removed. I think naming it so that people recognize it and let your teams know that you're just like them. You have the same kind of pressures. And I'm not supposed, I'm not suggesting you have verbal diarrhea all over your, your people. You still have to uh, lead, but lead in a way that lets them know you have consciousness and you're aware um, of why you're leading the way you do. So it's like they say with the oxygen mask, right? CEO, put it on yourself first. Because if you're, you know, trying to resuscitate everybody else, the plane's going down because you're running out of oxygen, is that that metaphor really has to be taken very, very seriously um, because the pressures that we've seen with leaders through this time has been astronomical and they are high functioners that can separate off from their feelings and they function, but that integration needs to be something that they need to keep at their forefront. Awesome. Thank you. (laughs) I, I I have one since we're asking for a friend right now. Okay. Um, so, um, I think part of the the struggle sometimes in practicing for my friend um, is that you know there's there's intentions and there's outcomes, mm-hmm. and I think and I think when it comes to especially things of the of the heart and of of the culture, um, you know the best intentions can still fall flat. And you can't bring everyone else along. Um, I think how do you how do you deal with kind of like trying to do right by everybody? Because culture feels hard when you can't get everybody. Like it feels like when you know you can you can say all the right things or try to say all the right things and be the as selfless as possible, and you still have people who take it as manipulative or fake or you know mm-hmm. and. And it's it's so frustrating, right? To to find yourself in that space. Like, what advice do you have, I guess, to overcome that mindset? Not everybody's gonna like you all the time, Jeff, but you have to do your best and be consistent for, for your friends. Friend. Yeah, for my friend, yeah. <laughs> yeah. What I'm saying is like consistency with time shows people who you are. So you're not gonna get everybody always being aligned, but then you're going to get respect because if people know deep down inside and they see you acting in accordance with what you truly believe internally, that respect will come. And I often say to CEOs, you know, we're not suggesting that everybody comes to your house for Sunday tea, but ultimately that you get respect because you still have a position and a responsibility to your company to have outcomes. You still have to manage, but I think um, just being grounded within yourself and knowing what kind of leader you are and knowing your intentions. What happens with time is that people realize you're not perfect like anybody else. None of us are, but you're doing the best you can through this human experience who also happens to be the CEO. And I think if you kind of take that kind of um, mindset, then you're kind of fundamentally a little bit easier on yourself as the leader. Uh, it's kind of like at home. I don't know about any both of you, right? You try your best all the time, but do you slip up 
Oh, yeah, often. And what happens when you have a good uh, foundation, it, it comes into, in, into tow, right? But if you're kind of not investing, it's like a debit and credit kind of thing. Uh, eventually, things are going to balance out. Sometimes you're going to, you know, it's not going to be ideal. But for the most part, the backdrop is based on, I know this person, I know their intentions. And trustworthiness is something without trust, um, you know, it's hard. So I think as a leader, just be yourself, act in accordance um, with what you truly value and let that be kind of the stage or platform that you create to, for yourself within your company. So I was going to ask, Roxanne, so <clears throat> I know there's a huge emphasis on the leaders, right? Um, what about the, the supporting staff, the, the rest of the organization, What's their responsibility or obligations to ensuring that, you know, the culture that they are aspiring for, how did they contribute to it? Because leaders obviously carry the majority of the burden of curating the culture, uh, but culture isn't possible without everyone being involved mm -hmm. and included and, and contributing to it. So what kind of advice do you have for um, folks who are not in leadership positions, but are members of organizations and they really aspire for change in their culture. I think it, we're all leaders, regardless of the position that we have within a company. And uh, I think, you know, knowing um, what you want for yourself individually, like everybody, we all want meaning and purpose in our life. Without meaning and purpose, there's no energy. And whether um, you know, I'm the best admin or the person in reception and answering that phone. I want optimal energy to be able, that's my part that I'm taking on. I've accepted a position and a role and there's responsibilities and performance that's needed from me. I accepted, um, you know, to be part of the organization. So I think, how is it that I should lead within myself? How do I bring the best version of myself? And I think um, leadership has responsibility, but individually, um, you know, each employee has the responsibility to be, bring the best version of themselves to work. So I think if you get the top doing that, where they're clear in their mission and vision, and you're consistently talking about that and expecting certain things, um, collectively, that's what your culture is. We're all coming from the same space versus, you know, it's Jeff's job or it's, you know, Mo's job, it's Roxanne's job. We all want to collectively work together to the best means to an end, which is to put put the best product out there in the marketplace or, you know, um, to be the kind of place that you walk into and people feel comfortable, um, you know, where people feel, wow, you know, when I enter, you know, the corporate offices, I feel that sense of belonging. We all have really, really important responsibilities, regardless of where we in we're in that um, kind of macro of an organization. So I think that's the responsibility that employees have to take on for themselves. And if it's not working for them, why is it not working? If it has to do with management, you, you know, you create that flow for them to come to you. If it's personal, you create the space that they can go get the, the, the private or, you know, um, help that they need. But at, at the end of the day, you know, how am I managing me? Because management can't manage me. I have to manage myself. And if it's a skill deficit within myself, how am I going to the appropriate people 
uh, to get the skills that I need it, or if it's overwork or whatever, um, you know, being able to be safe enough to speak out and get the support that they need as well. Awesome. No, thank you for that. <clears throat> Last question. This is obviously not easy. I mean, the, the, the leadership role, culture change, you know, creating an environment where people bring their full selves. It's, it's not like what is traditionally expected at corporations and going through this change, I can only imagine is extremely hard, extremely difficult, uh, not just for the leaders, but everyone involved. Um, and what's, I mean, I, what's your take on that? Like, how do we work towards this change and, and face the realities of like, you know, how difficult it is? What, what kind of things have you observed and what kind of advice do you have in that regard with going through a transformation like this? I think it takes time. You have to be patient and you have to be in it for the long haul. You know, not, you know, if, if, if you have a vision for what you want to achieve as a leader, uh, make sure you get the right support to achieve that, uh, starting with yourself. And, um, you know, become as transparent as possible. And if you are if you struggle with communication, make that your best friend. Um, so learn how to communicate as effectively as possible, especially through storytelling. I think um, there's an emotional reaction that happens when we're able to relate uh, to our leaders. And, um, it's a tough time. We are expecting a lot of leadership today um, and recognize that we're just in that different time. The last two years has shown us this. People um, have used their feet accordingly and they, they make their buying decisions based on relatability. And if you're really wanting uh, things to get better, think about um, you know what's ideal for your customer and make sure that whatever plans you're making, you're putting it in place from the micro all, to, all the way up to the macro systemically. And, um, you know, use your check and balances often, use your town halls, ask for feedback, um, make sure you recognize people in the way that they wanna be recognized. Um, so it's, it's, I would say patience, uh, like I used to say to my four-year-old boy, patience is a virtue, um, use it often um, and be, be willing to hear what you're not doing well and take it in a space of, okay, I'm glad that people are able to share with me what's really going on. How can I use it constructively now to apply the things that are being told and make sure people know that you're following through. And even if you can't follow through with something, be honest. And, and because communication, communication, communication allows people to uh, get to know you. Um, and even if it's bad news, um, let them know where you're at um, on an ongoing basis. Awesome. Thank you. Incredible. Yeah. So many good um, nuggets of wisdom there. My notebook is full of stuff. Uh, okay, great. So Roxanne, I wanted to also give um, a little bit of time to um, understanding what you're working on and how people who are interested can find you or connect with you as well. I know you've written, I believe two books, uh, you have a podcast, all the things. Can you share and plug a little bit um, what you know the, the audience might be, how they might be able to find you, and what they might be interested in? 
Absolutely. Thanks for uh, allowing me to do that, Jeff. Uh, so I, you can reach me at roxanderhodge.com. I've written two books. One is Enhancing Your Relationships, and the other one is about to be released. It's ROR, Return on Relationships, How Authentic Leaders uh, Can Focus on Relationships Versus the Bottom Line and How to um, Build Resilient Teams. So that's going to be due out. It's been a bit delayed uh, in a little by November, December. Uh, you can reach me there. The podcast is weekly. Uh, I have amazing guests on that talk about uh, what it takes to be authentically connected to yourself, uh, whether it's at home or at work. And uh, so I'm consistently trying to provide information uh, to, to companies about um, what kind of things employees may be experiencing, but also what leaders might be experiencing. Uh, you can reach me pretty much on any social. I uh, work with organizations uh, where I work through the, uh, with themselves and their teams, organizational strat plans around how authentic they are as leaders. And their teams are able to analyze their, what I call their AQ, which is their authenticity quotient. And the leader does it, but the, also the team does it. And as I do uh, training, um, myself and my teams do training, uh, the leader is consistently get, get given a benchmark about how he or she is doing in the arena of uh, the different elements to authentic leadership um, so that at the end of it, the leader should, be, should have been able to enhance all the authentic variables uh, to be a better leader. So that's kind of what I've been up to. Awesome. Can I ask yeah, you awesome. to, can I ask you to describe to like, you know, like for a middle schooler, I guess, what is authentic leadership for, by, by your definition? Authentic leadership is listening to a, the deepest profound space within yourself and understanding what your, what do you, what's important to you and having your actions be in alignment with that top value. Awesome. Very last thing, um, what is love as a business strategy through your lens? Love is connection. So if I'm connected to myself, I'm able to connect to others. But if I'm disconnected to myself, I have no sense of what um, the radius around me is. So the more connected I am, self-love as an individual, the, the more um, I'm able to connect with others around me. So without that lens, it's difficult to understand what the true needs are um, from a frontward facing kind of perspective outside of myself. Awesome, great stuff. Thank you so much. Uh, Roxanne, I really, really appreciate the time and kind of the, the, free, the free therapy session that we got um, out of you today. <laughs> Um, but definitely appreciate you sharing, taking the time to share all these perspectives and, and, and insights and expertise um, to our listeners. Appreciate you spending the time as well with us. And, you know, I always have to plug our book, Love is a Business Strategy. It's out. I feel like it's really getting kind of old. It's getting to that point where it's kind of old, but I'm not, I'm not going to stop. Very proud of it. I think it's a good book. It's a bestseller. So hopefully it, 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 it matters to people. But but please check that out as well. And we're posting new episodes here every Wednesday and um, had a great conversation today. So if you like this, please leave a review um, and some, some good five-star ratings and things like that. Tell a friend. But with that, Roxanne, thank you again for your time. Mo, thank you for joining us. And we will see you all next week.